0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our
1: relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 3 and 4. And the last time the title of the sermon in Isaiah 2 was something to look forward to. And you're going to find as we go through this prophetic book, it's almost as if God needs to give us a lot of encouragement through this prophetic book because Isaiah preaches at a time that's just very decadent. And I can't help, like I'm going to be, my brain is going to be in Isaiah for the next several months throughout the winter. It's a long prophetic book. And as I look to see what he says, what God says through him, I look at our culture and say, boy, we're really close, if not there. So there's a lot of unpleasantries. Um, This morning the title is A a Society Without God. And again, we look at our culture, we're just talking about D.C., a lot of vices, a lot of evil things going on, a lot of things that are poised against God, and God's not going to allow it to happen for much longer, I don't believe. So we look at this and there's a lot in here about the millennial kingdom. There's a lot here about the Lord returning, the Lord's second coming, the day of the Lord. And these are all very important because when you look out at the world, you look at out at our culture, you're like, well, where's the hope? You know, politicians promise it, uh, campaign season heats up and the masses put their trust in man and woman. But the truth is it's only God that can bring about this change. So we're going to look at this in eight parts and really from the context of the southern kingdom of Judah. Israel was together at one point. So, you know, we know in our lifetime, oh, Israel, it's a country. Well, it used to be a country, then it was a divided country, then it was a, a it was taken over by other nations. It was scattered and then God brought it back together in 1948. So, especially for those of us that are young, and born after Israel became a nation, it's all we knew. But back in the day, it was split in two, the southern and the northern kingdom. So we're going to talk about this, and we're probably going to make some good applications to our culture as well. So verses 1 through 3, it says, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of all, takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the honorable man, the counselor and the skilled artisan and the expert enchanter. So one out of eight is the Lord's judgment is manifested. The Lord, the Lord of hosts. So who are we talking about? It's very important we understand. He created everything. He knows what's good for us. He knows what's ideal. And it's very important that we know that because when we start to see the things that happen, we could get sad, we, our emotions could take over, we could start questioning God. Right? So it's very important he decides, or the, uh, the prophet says, who we're dealing with. And he's the same Lord that we deal with today. He hasn't changed. He's immutable. because the Lord takes away from Jerusalem and Judah. Now this could be a shock if you're new to the Bible or new to a church or maybe new to a ministry that what you're used to is feel-good preaching, you know, flipping the channels from one positive preacher to another. They don't talk about this stuff because it actually hurt business, uh, but some of them are actually false teachers. This is the whole counsel of God. Uh, so when we get into this, some may say, whoa, wow, I've been a Christian for a while, I've never seen this before. And we can see this in layers. Now this is another thing that we, we talk about. We're going to talk about hope and encouragement in layers. Going to get to that at the end. The best part for last, I'm going to leave you with that before you leave the building. But we're also going to talk about judgment in layers. Okay? So the prophet is, you know, God gives him visions. He sees things that are happening in real time. And then he sees things that are happening hundred years down the road, a thousand years down the road, three thousand years down the road, amazing. And every generation that reads Isaiah is more reinforced that the bible is real and inspired by god because of all these layers of prophecies that have come to pass but layers so judah had problems with border skirmishes with invading nations you know overtaking their borders and taking control and pillaging and all that kind of stuff uh isaiah also is speaking to a future when the assyrians come and we talked about in chapter one the assyrian kingdom comes to dominate this land Uh, But they don't take Jerusalem. And then the Babylonians in 586 BC actually started with 605 BC under King Nebuchadnezzar. These constant sieges against the walls of Jerusalem, eventually Nebuchadnezzar's armies break through and Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a happy man because he asked Judah to submit and they didn't submit. So when he finally did get in there, he and his soldiers were not very nice to the people. I'm putting that mildly. So let's look at the things that God removed. Remember, God promised, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, I will protect you, your borders, your crops, all these things. You know, if you start worshiping demonic idols and bringing that filth into the land and poisoning the minds of the young people, I'm going to withdraw my protective hand from you. That's fair. And in any relationship, there's a give and take. So what did he remove? The stock in the store. In other words, the supplies and the storehouses of good. Remember Jesus talked about the parrot bull of the rich fool. He thought if he had barns full of grain and built bigger ones and had more grain that his life was going to be great. So some of the storehouses and the the supplies were, were taken away or looted or pillaged. The food and the water, necessities. The mighty man and the man of war. The military, the police, the defenders of the nation. The judge, the prophet, the diviner and the elder. The leaders, both secular and spiritual. And the captain of 50, the honorable man, the counselor, the skillful artisan, the expert, enchanter. Every type of leader in this, what was known as a patriarchal society. We continue, verse 4. So you're starting to get a mental picture of what's going to happen. You know what's really sad is when you warn, you know, Isaiah is pleading with the people, repent, stop this behavior, stop. And they didn't listen. And I think sometimes that's even hard for anybody who's a believer and God shows them things about a friend, a loved one, um, things that people that they know and they, they want to share the truth with them. They, you know, Listen, I don't, I'm not into the fire and brimstone preaching where it's, it's punitive. You know, We're supposed to have compassion for a lost world. We're supposed to love the world. And truly, you, I think you get it right in ministry when your heart breaks to see people just destroying their lives you know, and they don't want to listen. And that was happening here. Verse 4, he says, I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. The people will be oppressed, every one by another and every one by his neighbor. The child will be insolent toward the elder and the base toward the honorable. So two out of eight, civic disorder, disrespect among the people, disrespect to the aged, And the kings of Judah, a lot of these kings were installed at like 8 years old, 13 years old, and so basically what he was saying is it it came true. Babies would be ruling the kingdom. They were untested, they were very young, they were put in great authority. And that's, tell you what, that's always very dangerous. We've seen that in Europe, during the monarchies, we see it today with uh, Kim Jong-un in North Korea, Somebody who's young and untested and put in a position of great power. Even police, you know, they're starting to see, well, maybe it wasn't a good idea to hire them at 18 and give them a gun. You know, a lot of police departments are, are, are trying to well, let them go through the process, but they want to have them have a few years of maturity before they hire them and give them that authority. Um, a politician who's way too young concerns me. You know, I mean, listen, the Bible has wisdom. It really does. Um, And the the sad thing is the oppression came from everywhere. It came from the top and it came from the bottom. Neighbors were fighting with each other. And again, when God is the glue to society, he's the glue to marriage, he's the glue to family. When you pull that glue away, everything, it's almost like nuclear fission. The atoms start to, you know, get excited and they they release energy and stuff gets blown up. You know what I'm saying? That's layman's terms there. But uh, verse 5, and I don't often do this, but I... I have a Bible that actually has four different versions across every page. It's really cool to just get a little different insight. But some of these are paraphrased, which they're not always reliable. But let me just read from the Living Bible. In this case, was very interesting, verse 5. It says, The worst part of anarchy will prevail. Everyone stepping on someone else. Youth revolting against authority. Criminals sneering at honorable men. And I'm going to tell you, folks, if we as Christians, aren't praying for revival, if we're not doing something, if we're not trying to purify the society in some way, this is where we're headed. You can see the handwriting on the wall. All you got to do is turn on the the TV at any particular uh, point in time. We live in in an age of complete disrespect. People, they don't respect each other anymore. It doesn't matter. You know, I I think one of the saddest things to watch is now with the, the iPhones, Um, Just these videos of young people just causing chaos, um, beating up elderly people, homeless people, some beaten to death just for fun. You know, younger and younger kids committing heinous crimes. And you, you have to ask yourself, where are we headed as a society? What's going wrong? Society even feeling sorry for criminals. You know, I talked about Che Guevara shirts, and it's like, do you pick up a history book? Do you know anything about your history before you put that shirt on? and others wearing Charles Manson shirts. This dude wanted to start a race war. He said it in his memoirs. And so many people love this guy. It's just... This is a screwed-up society, folks. If you call yourself a Christian and you think everything's just fine, you're not reading your Bible. You know? Uh, so many unhappy people in society and uh, just looking to cause chaos. And again, whether it's uh, the United States or it's Judah, This is what happens when a society tells God we don't want you. We're not interested. I got it from here. Thanks for the creation. Thanks for the oxygen, the water, the sunlight. It's really nice, Lord, but could you just stay over there and we're going to do our thing over here because we're enlightened. We're post-Christian. We're humanistic. We figured it out, Lord. That's pretty much what we do. You know, and I know I got to keep bringing my mind back to Judah. It's not about the United States. It really isn't. But I think any pastor in any culture would be able to read the prophecies and say, well, where are we? Where are we at? Are you just going to let us do whatever we want and there's not going to be any consequences? Verse 6, continuing on. He says, when a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, you have clothing, you be our ruler, and let these ruins be under your hand. In that day, he will protest, saying, I cannot cure your ills, for in my house is neither food nor clothing. Do not make me a ruler of the people. Three out of eight is a lack of leadership. The credentials for leadership were very, very low. Oh, you have clothing. You have nice clothes. Hey, um, this place is a mess. This town is a mess. Be the governor. Be the mayor. No, I don't want that job. It's pretty sad. It's pretty sad. Uh, I have to laugh. I was on social media and I looked at the Attorney General's page about corruption in, in government. And it's funny how when people comment, every comment was negative. I read like 30 comments, and it was just the, the idea that New Jerseyans have about even both parties in government is, is not very flattering. Um, so, verse 8, continuing on For Jerusalem stumbled and Judah is fallen. Because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord, to provoke the eyes of his glory, to look on their countenance, witnesses against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it, woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. Four out of eight is disrespectful attitudes towards God, directly and indirectly. It's with their tongues. You know, they say things that are just insolent, disrespectful. Listen, if you're not going to respect authority, you're certainly not going to respect God because he's the ultimate authority. Their doings, their actions, uh, their countenances. You know, if you read body languages, uh, you know, somebody kind of gives you a look or they roll their eyes. Everybody rolls their eyes today. Or some type of smirk or haughty look. And I mean we don't like it in our kids, you know what I'm saying? We tell them to do something. They give us that look and they don't have to say a word, but we know what they're thinking. So, um, and they had no shame. They had no shame. They declared their sin as Sodom. It was just all open. It was all open. I mean, if you go to, I'm not really much of a city dweller. Too many people in one area. I kind of like rural a little bit more. But I like people. So, I do like one-on-one. I like to talk to people. But I'm just not a fan of the crowds. But if you go to New York City or or, uh, San Francisco, you can see, Right on the street, people that are practically naked—they're flaunting their sin. People are bringing children like it's not an issue, trying to get them acclimated to it. It's terrible, you know. In some schools, they're sexualizing kids in grade school. You know, maybe the parents want them to re- retain that innocence. I know for me, I, I wanted that. It was funny. My wife and I would go to back-to-school night, and a lot of the parents were hobnobbing with the teachers. And we went right over to the textbook table, <laughs> you know, that's the type of parents we are. I said, I'll grab the science book, you grab the history book, you know what I'm saying? And we would flip through the pages, what are they going to teach my son this year? And, and we had to prepare for it, you know? Um, but this is, this is the culture we live in. Sexualizing kids early and then saying, well, abortion's the best answer. Well, of course, if you sexualize kids early and babies are having babies, to society, that's a great answer. But what started this ball in motion? Well, taking God away and having kids experiment with things that are very dangerous for their age. He says, woe to the soul, they brought, it up, they brought evil upon themselves. You know, And I think that I'm, I'm blessed to see a lot of young people in our church, because if you're like around the age of 20 or so, you think maybe some of the developments over the last decade or so have been wonderful in society until you read God's Word. He's like, no, it's not wonderful. It's not how I created it. It's not how I designed you. And we wonder why people are so confused about so many things in life. You know? Verse 10. Say to the righteous that it will be well for them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe to the wicked! It shall be ill with him. For the reward of his hands shall be given him. Five out of eight. Well, the righteous will prevail. We saw this in even Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 18 through 19. Even the ones that were righteous, compared to everybody else at the city, were allowed to leave. But all four of them were so poisoned by what they had lived with that none of them were really successful. Mom didn't even make it across the, the grounds. Um, dad and the daughters. I mean, you could read the story. It's not pretty. You know, sin has this this effect. It's like rotting flesh. You know, it just it spreads. It's a disease. It's it's a cancer. Uh, it's a cancer on society. But God always protected His righteous in the society. And then when He instituted judgment, the righteous were protected. And this is a great proof text for the rapture, that when the Lord is ready to throw down those Revelation judgments he will remove his people. He's not going to judge and punish those that have already accepted uh, forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. He doesn't do that. He doesn't punish children that have been, you know, purified through Christ. doesn't mean we don't sin. It just means now we're protected. We're protected because of what Christ did on the cross for our sins. So, and that's, you know, when I say righteous, Listen, I look in the mirror, I don't see righteous. Just going to be straight up with you, I'll start with me. I see someone who is a sinner and who's been forgiven for his sins. And when God sees me, 2 Corinthians five twenty one. we covered this, He sees, when He sees me, He sees the sacrifice that Christ made for my sins. So He sees me clean. I don't see me clean. But sometimes we have to forgive ourselves or, or let things go, that God has already let things go and not hold ourselves in that, that position, right? But that's the, I love that about the message of the cross. How do people reject that? You know, God loves you. God wants to protect you. He wants to save you. He wants to purify you. We're going to talk more about that at the end. Verse 12, he continues with this society. And listen, everybody gets a little something. The children weren't doing the right thing. But the, the, the women and the men weren't doing the right thing. I mean, they started this whole ball rolling, and you see this progression of sin in the generations. It says, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. Wow. Now, this is not said as a good thing. Where were the men? How come they weren't stepping up? Well, in a lot of these wars and these battles, they were losing men. We're going to see that in the next chapter. And the ones left were delinquent in their roles. Maybe they were too young. Maybe they were clueless about what they're supposed to do. You know, leadership, it just wasn't there. It wasn't there. And leadership is, is a disciple thing. Leadership has to be taught. You know, you go to any company, any uh, well-respected company, somebody's going to train you. It's called discipleship. You know, you go for a promotion. Again, coming from law enforcement, I was a field training officer for over ten years. This <laughs> was sometimes a stressful job, but they would send all the young guys and gals out of the academy and put them in the car with me. It's great. They had a gun, they had a badge, they had books about the law, but there was a lot of things they had to learn. You know, it's not all about, I would say, it's not all about writing tickets and locking people up. you got to get to know people, you got to get to know the community, you got to build bridges. You gotta build relationships with the people. Hopefully that other stuff comes as a last resort. And it has its time. But you, you have to teach leadership. And leadership has to also do with how we interact with others. That's very important. Can we do more with our tongues and our prayers than with our brawn or our influence? You see what I'm saying? So there's a, there's a lot here. There's a lot here and the men were f- dropping like flies, so the younger men were getting raised up. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to be leaders. And back in society, back then, the men were men. You know, today we have the luxury of all these social experiments because we have such a powerful military and two oceans protecting our nation. But back then, if you were a man, you got to pick up a sword. You better learn to shoot an arrow, because you might be the one defending your village. And if you are concerned about who you are or you you don't want the role, too bad. It could be thousands of people dead because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And that's what happens when, when it gets rough. You know what I'm saying? That's what happens when, you know, there's a tragedy. Somebody has to step up. Verse 13, we continue. It says, The Lord stands up to plead and stands up to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes. For you have eaten up the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, says the Lord God of hosts. Pretty powerful. Six, God is ready to chasten his people. And the first order on his court docket, so to speak, of prosecution is with the elites who were oppressing the poor and stealing from them, and taking the little bit that they had and putting it in their own houses. You know, not only did they neglect the the poor, but they abused the poor, they took advantage of them. And there was an element of leaders and and politicians and elitists, the ones that were leading, just getting whatever they could get for themselves. And I, I know I've said this before, but when Nebuchadnezzar came and broke down the walls of Jerusalem and his troops came in, the first people he carted off was the nobility, was the elites. And you know what they did? They left the, the poor and the sickly, they, they just left them in Judah. They got the vineyards, they got the grapes, they got the houses, you know? Because think about it, you're an invading army and you have to, this is what they do. They expatriate people to their country and they look at some of these people and like, they're not going to make the journey. The elderly, the poor, the malnutrition, they just left them there. It's kind of poetic justice. So they got to enjoy what was left in the land because it was the ones that were messing everything up and controlling everybody were the ones that were carted away. It's pretty interesting. You know, we don't always understand God's ways at first, but then sometimes in hindsight we see, yeah. And let me tell you something, folks, on this side of eternity, I don't even understand all of God's ways. And it was great. I was listening to Chuck Smith the other day and He's, been, he's passed away for a few years, and he's like, I don't understand all of God's ways. I'm like, I'm in good company. <laughs> I mean, seriously, who can say, oh, I can outthink God, or I know what God... He's God. That's the beauty of who He is. And we don't own, when we're in the middle of a tragedy, we don't understand it, or we see somebody else in the middle of the tragedy. And some of these questions won't even be answered until we step into eternity. But we have to trust His goodness, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, Lean not on your own understanding, Not acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. It's pretty good stuff. Verse 16, now here's a big chunk. I'm going to take this to the rest of the chapter and then kind of, um, you know, kind of boil it down for you. Verse 16, it says, Moreover, the Lord says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet. Therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion. and The Lord will uncover their secret parts, and that day the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling anklets, the scarves, the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, the veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments, the headbands, the perfume boxes, the charms, the rings, the nose jewels, the festal apparel, and the mantles, the outer garments, the purses, and the mirrors, the fine linen, the turbans, and the robes. Boy, there must have been some malls in Jerusalem back then, you know what I'm saying? You just to... And you know, some people, it's all about themselves. You know, they, the way they dress, the way they live, it's, it's, everything is about them. And that's really an image. Hopefully we don't do that in the body of Christ you know, and, and some of it is just to put it in someone else's faces. Look, I made it, you didn't, a sibling rivalry, or, you know, whatever the case may be. Or your, your neighbors have this, so you have to get this. Where does it end? You know, I mean, are we all show and no go? Are we all glitter and, and no, you know, nothing to do? You know, nothing, no substance. And so it will be, instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope, instead of well-set hair, baldness. Instead of a rich robe girding of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty, your men shall fall by the sword and your' mighty in the war. her gates shall lament and mourn, and she, being desolate, shall sit on the ground. God is an equal opportunity disciplinarian. You know? Only the, the righteous did escape, but those that were doing these things, uh, they didn't. And this was the height of decadence. Everyone was feeling their oats. And I've often said this, when I preach or I witness on the street or I talk to people, sometimes it's very hard when you, listen, I'm not that old, but I've lived through different economic cycles. And I just find sometimes those that are just doing really well and they have need of nothing, it's very hard to tell them about Christ. They don't feel that they need anything. They have everything. And sometimes those that have been kicked around by life so many times, not always, they receive of that love of Christ and they're, they're headstrong, they're headlong. They dive right into it. They want to know everything about God. This is something that's new. It's a lifestyle. It's something they're going to push all the way to the end, which is great. But these people were, were just, they were so decadent. They were so well off. Uh, and it showed in every facet of their life and a lot of this you know you have to kind of read and I would go into my Hebrew text and I, I go into all my definitions what are all these things basically this was an outward sexuality this was showing it off being seductive in public it was just this is the way the culture was and you know this is this is the way our culture is Sex sells. You can't drive down the turnpike and see a, not see a billboard with something explicit on it. It's everywhere. You know, it's these images. Somebody figured out that sexual images um, cause people in advertising to, to spend money. You know, for men, they think, well, that's what I want, so they open up their wallets. For women, they say, well, that's what I want to look like, so they open up their wallets. It's really sick. It gets both the men and the women. And there's nothing sacred anymore. You know, I don't even watch sitcoms anymore. I remember when I was a kid watching sitcoms. They were funny. Now it's all sex, sexual innuendo, just just pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope. And some of these are on kids' channels. You know, they're really for the parents, but they're on the kids' channels. Um, Yeah. If you think about pornography, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. But it wouldn't be if there wasn't such a high demand for it. You know, you look at pornography and prostitution and, and all these things go together. Sex, slavery, runaways, it's all tied together. One of the things I enjoyed, one of the few things I enjoyed in my police career was dealing with youth at risk. And some of them would come to the station looking for me. Some of them would come to the station and towards the end they put me on the desk, which was great because that's where I wanted to be. And I would just chat with people, just chat an hour, and just kinda, especially youth, saying, listen, I had to be the realist. When you step out of the safety of your home, as long as they weren't being abused at home, this is what the world looks like. The world's gonna take advantage of you. It's going to use you, especially young girls. All the statistics shows that girls that are younger that leave the home, they are at risk for all the things that I just said. But they're being, it's sad because they're being, just like that video, Again, I I think young girls more than young boys because there's all these images that they see every day and they're so nervous about what they should be, what they should look like, how they should talk, how they should dress. It's, It's like poison in our culture. It's not good. It's not good. But it's been said that when women are sinful, they flaunt and they want everybody to see what God blessed them with at birth. And it's been said, when men are sinful, they want to see as much as they can see. So you can kind of see the relationship there. You know, in a perfect world, in a, in a marriage, that's fine, whatever, enjoy. But now it's in public, and now it's for everybody to see and everybody to look at, and you have these problems that we have in society. You know, pornography is an addiction. You know, people just, it, it releases dopamine and, in the brain, and it's, it's this, this positive reinforcement and it's not even reality, you know? It ruins marriages, it ruins families. I've counseled guys. I know I'm going, kind of going off on a, sub, a tangent here, but this is, this is real. And, and I, I, you know, I was never afraid as a cop of bullets and knives and stuff like that, but when I hear some of these stories, that frightens me, just how it just wipes out families. The husband, the wife, the kids, it is so destructive. And if any of you are leaning in that direction, and now it's, it's starting to pick up with ladies, too, talk to somebody, because it's a really bad road to end up. It's quicksand. You know, it looks appealing, it looks this, it looks that. But you, it'll sink you fast. And, uh, and I've seen the results of it firsthand. Well, continuing on, so... If you've ever studied war and battles like I have... Um, You know, I think of Berlin in 1945. Prosperous city, everybody's doing their thing. When the Allies invaded, especially the Russians, in a matter of a few days, the city tanked. And this is what happens when there's an invasion. Baldness, scabs, uh, disease, pestilence. War is a terrible thing. Um, The Assyrians and the Babylonians would lead people away uh, bound like slaves. There was no Geneva Convention. All these things hit the city very hard. Um, loss of those the luxuries, it was all gone. I'm going I'm to get one more caveat here before we, I continue. You know, God could allow the human race to just continue and He could say, yeah, you sinned against me. You've really made a mess of the earth. No problem. I'm just going to keep blessing you. And then they step into eternity and they can't turn back. You know, um, sometimes tragedy is good because it it wakes people up, it opens their eyes. Would it be better for millions of people to step into a Christless and godless eternity because everything was great for them or would it be better for millions of people to step into a Christ-filled, God-loving, redeemed eternity, utopia forever and ever paradise but they had to go some really... To some really hard things on the earth. I think the latter would be better for me. I want to go to the good place when I die. However, you gotta get me there. You know what I'm saying? Continuing on. You know, I I too another thing that, you know, we we look at and, and this is the big question people ask, Well, where's God during these disasters? Well, how come? How come he's not stopping all these things? Again, this is something that mankind created he descended God's creation into chaos. You know, I was, I was at ground zero after the towers fell. I have to actually get checked out every year because we didn't know we were breathing stuff in that wasn't good for us. And uh, it, was, it was an eerie sight, and the smells were, were horrific. And um, we thought as the United States before that, we were impregnable, we were untouchable. And then we realized, okay, now we're in the same position as the rest of the world. You know, we don't live in a bubble. Anything can happen at any time. I remember um, the churches filled after 9-11. Seven, eight months later, people, a lot of those people were gone. Some of them got saved, but the economy picked up, people were getting counseling, there was rebuilding efforts, and everybody just kind of went on their way again. And let me put myself in this, this position. How stupid are we as a human race? that we don't see God for who He is, that we don't latch on to Him and realize that every day you walk out the door, there's all kinds of perils out there, you know? Continuing on, verse chapter 4, verse 1, it says, In that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own food, we'll wear our own apparel, only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. So seven out of eight, this is the aftermath. You know, chapter delineations came centuries later. This is the same thought. And what happened is the women, there was, there was so many men gone, either POWs or, um, or murdered or slain in battle, that there was much more women than there were men. And they, not only were the people looking to the men to say, will you step up and lead? But the women were saying, would you just, can I just take your name? Can I, you know, can you, I'm childless. I need to have a child. This is how bad the situation was. Um, And it's it's not humorous, but it's like they're even saying, listen, as a wife, I'll bring my own food um, and I'll wear my own clothes. You don't have to do anything. Just let me take your last name or, you know, I don't want to be childless for the rest of my life. That's how bad it was last few verses and then we'll close. And this is where in the prophetic book you got to have let me tell you something, I, it's hot up here. <laughs> I go through this and trust me, it's, you know, I want to present it factually, I don't want to candy coat it, but it's not pretty. But when you go to a church where they go through the entire Bible, you know, it gets tough because you know, I don't have to defend God. God is so much more powerful than me, but I also have to put it in a light that people understand what the context was at the time, and we, where we might be headed. Would, would you prefer preachers, and this happened in Germany, by the way, in Nazi Germany, I did a big study, up. where was the church? 50% of the church was saying, Hitler's out of his mind, We got this is crazy, and they would preach this, and a lot of them, there was a whole pastor's barracks in, in Dachau. They took all the pastors and rounded them up, because they didn't want them to preach this. And the other half were saying, this is great, they had swastikas on their you know, it, it was amazing. They just went, went with the flow. Who do you want to preach in in 2017 in America? Somebody who's going to tell the truth of where we're headed or somebody's going to say, hey, it's another day, it's great. You're going to wake up tomorrow, you're fine. You're going to make a lot of money. You look, you look marvelous, you know what I'm saying? I mean, what do you want? I want the truth. Listen, it was a hard pill to swallow coming from a, the world and going to a Calvary Chapel. I think Pastor Lloyd was teaching Isaiah. And I was like, whoa, whoa. whoa." Then I started reading ahead, and I'm like, wow. And I would start, you know, do you want to know what God says? Do you want to know how to be warned? Or do you want to just me to come up here and say everything's wonderful, look in the mirror, you're great. Last few verses, verse 2. It says, in that day, and here's the hope, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing. For those of Israel who have escaped, and it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and he who remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion And above her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering, and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge, and for a shelter from the storm and the rain. Now, eight out of eight is hope. The branch of the Lord, did he come in that day exactly? No, he didn't. But he was coming. All the prophecies pointed to Jesus, the branch of the Lord. Now again, judgment is in layers, but so is hope. Some of this was fulfilled when the poor were left to have houses and they weren't evicted anymore and you know everything was good for them. Some of this happened during the rebuilding of Jerusalem during the Persians. The people had to suffer through the Babylonians. But when the Persians came, God used them to favor the Jews and go back and rebuild just the mess that was left there. Some of this happened in Jesus in the first century. Some of it is spiritual. Some of it is, is figurative in a spiritual sort of way. And some of it didn't happen yet because it's in our future, the millennial kingdom, which is, which is mentioned a lot here. Um, so what could bring the people hope? Well, they would know that their kids and grandkids would not be ethnically cleansed, because that's happened, by the way. Whole people groups. When we look at history, the history of the world, some small people groups were, uh, were annihilated. They're, n- they're not around anymore. It's terrible what people do to each other on this planet. But they had the hope to know that they, they would survive and weren't going to be wiped out. Uh, also, they were to be comforted emotionally, knowing that through their highs and lows that God would be with them. They're right? in the rebuilding efforts. There was poverty, there was rubble, there was a lot of things, but God was, I'm, I'm here with you to wash away the filth, which was a picture of knowing that a person who was repentant would have their sins forgiven and cleansed, and cleansed. Listen, the true believer who's truly saved knows that they were saved from the filth of their own sins. I know that. And then you have a greater appreciation for God. It also pointed to the millennial kingdom where there would be paradise on earth. Again, this is our future. And the the believers would, would, would come back it's almost like the, the best part of every fantasy movie at the end. But this is a reality. And you know, it's funny, a lot of these, <laughs> a lot of these uh, directors and stuff, um, the ones who have made certain movies, have got a lot of their information from the Bible in some way or shape or another, right? The Bible is the perfect template. Uh, to know that, that all would be called holy, again, a reference to the Millennial Kingdom. What matters is where we end, not where we started, folks. You know, you know, Pastor Joe, I, I don't even know if I should be here. You don't know my lifestyle. You don't know what I did. You know, you Christians, if you knew who I was, probably would judge me. Forget all that. Not here. Not here. It doesn't matter where you started. It matters where you end. Do you want God? Good, because God wants you. Period. Well, would these type of people be welcome in our church? With these, I've heard that. Yes, yes, and yes. They want God, I don't care who they are, I don't care how they come in here. This is who we are. So if you have that question, I just answered it for you, okay? I'm not going to be any less gracious, nor my pastors or elders or their wives, I'm not going to be any less gracious than God was gracious. That doesn't make any sense, you know? It's funny. The news always finds the weirdest churches to put on their TV and take the and just say, "Oh, this is a representation of Christianity." They do that on purpose. <laughs> so, uh, for the repentant, rueing in their sin, not to be completely overcome. Second Corinthians two speaks about a man in the church who was flaunting his sin. was asked to leave for a while. He went out into the world. He was really sorry for what he did. He came back, asked for forgiveness. They said, "Yeah." And and Paul, the Apostle Paul said to the people, said, Listen, don't he's truly repentant. We don't we're not going to go there anymore. We're not going to talk about that that past. Put it behind you. And this is where we get our, our information from the scripture. That we're all worth redeeming. That's why Christ died for the sins of the world. When you look at the smoke by day and the flaming fire by night, this was a picture of how God protected the Israelites through the wilderness. They always knew when they saw those images. must have been amazing to look at. They could all see it from wherever they were in the camp. They knew God was with them. I mean, God's omnipresent. But sometimes we as humans need a little, we need a little bit more ministering to. They're like, oh, I can see. I can see that. You know? Very cool. And in, in the form of Jesus, God in the flesh in the first century, he walked among the people. Amazing. They were able to touch him and handled him. Peter says that. First and Second Peter, right? We handled him. You know, John, the apostle. But Judah turned their back on God. In a lot of ways, I think our culture is turning its back on God. But the true believers and the prophets back then were a purifying agent to society. They were a walking Bible. You know, if you've been a Christian for a while, what is your personal responsibility? The same thing in our culture to get mad at the TV, to you know, look for a time to smack somebody down in a debate. Well, I would say more to be salt and light. And that's what Jesus said. You know, my, my pastor is so cool. He, he really had such a positive in, impact on me. I remember him talking about the whole, when the abortion debate was really big and it, it has its ebbs and flows. My pastor said, I would not be one of those people there with a picket sign, with, with a grotesque image on a, on a stick. He goes, I would be there with my phone number saying to a young scared girl, if you change your mind, I can help you. And my wife and I took that literally. And a lot of people here took that literally. You know, it's called grace. Everything is a sin. <laughs> We're, we live in a sinful world. Well, let's not compare our sins with each other. Trust me, my sins were enough to get me into hell for eternity. Okay, I'll start with me. So, you know, what do we do? We love people, we show compassion. We're to be a a walking Bible to share the good news of salvation before it's too late. And my question is, folks, are we up for the challenge? Let's pray.